Today is August 27th, and this is the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast. My name is Blake, and we are going to start today by reading through Job chapter 23 all the way through Job chapter 27 for our Old Testament reading. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, so let's go ahead and jump in. Job chapter 23, beginning in verse 1. Then Job spoke again. My complaint today is still a bitter one. And I try hard not to groan aloud. If only I knew where to find God, I would go to his court. I would lay out my case and present my arguments. Then I would listen to his reply and understand what he says to me. Would he use this great power to argue with me? No, he would give me a fair hearing. Honest people can reason with him. So I would be forever acquitted by my judge. I go east, but he is not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. And I look to the south, but he is concealed. But he knows where I am going, and when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. For I have stayed on God's paths. I have followed his ways and not turned aside. I have not departed from his commands, but have treasured his words more than daily food. But once he has made his decision, who can change his mind? Whatever he wants to do, he does. So he will do to me whatever he has planned. He controls my destiny. No wonder I am so terrified in his presence. When I think of it, terror grips me. God has made me sick at heart. The Almighty has terrified me. Darkness is all around me. Thick and impenetrable darkness is everywhere. Moving into chapter 24, verse 1. Why doesn't the Almighty bring the wicked to judgment? Why must the godly wait for him in vain? Evil people steal the land by moving the boundary markers. They steal livestock and put them in their own pastures. They take the orphan's donkey and demand the widow's ox as security for a loan. The poor are pushed off the path. The needy must hide together for safety. Like wild donkeys in the wilderness, the poor must spend all their time looking for food, searching even in the desert for food for their children. They harvest a field they do not own, and they glean in the vineyards of the wicked. All night they lie naked in the cold without clothing or covering. They are soaked by mountain showers, and they huddle against the rocks for want of a home. The wicked snatch a widow's child from her breast, taking the baby as a security for a loan. The poor must go about naked without any clothing. They harvest food for others while they themselves are starving. They press out olive oil without being able to taste it, and they tread in the wine press as they suffer from thirst. The groans of the dying rise up from the city, and the wounded cry for help, yet God ignores their moaning. Wicked people rebel against the light. They refuse to acknowledge its ways or stay in its paths. The murderer rises in the early dawn to kill the poor and needy. At night he is a thief. The adulterer waits for the twilight, saying, No one will see me then. He hides his faiths, so no one will know him. Thieves break into houses at night and sleep in the daytime. They are not acquitted with the light. The black night is their morning. They ally themselves with the terrors of the darkness. But they disappear like foam down a river. Everything they own is cursed, and they are afraid to enter their own vineyards. The grave consumes sinners, just as drought and heat consume snow. Their own mothers will forget them. Maggots will find them sweet to eat. No one will remember them. Wicked people are broken like a tree in the storm. They cheat the woman who has no son to help her, and they refuse to help the needy widow. God in his power drags away the rich. They may rise high, but they have no assurance of life. They may be allowed to live in security, but God is always watching them. And though they are great now, in a moment they will be gone like all others, cut off like heads of grain. Can anyone claim otherwise? Who can prove me wrong? Moving into chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. 
Then Bildad the Shuite replied, God is powerful and dreadful. He enforces peace in the heavens. Who is able to count his heavenly army? Doesn't his light shine on all the earth? How can a mortal be innocent before God? Can anyone born of a woman be pure? God is more glorious than the moon. He shines brighter than the stars. In comparison, people are maggots. We mortals are mere worms. Moving into chapter 26, verse 1. Then Job spoke again, How you have helped the powerless. How you have saved the weak. How you have enlightened my stupidity. What wise advice you have offered. Where have you gotten all these wise sayings? Whose spirit speaks through you? Isn't it interesting that the most uh, helpful advice that Job receives is the shortest chapter of the book? Six verses, and Job's like, oh, I get it. That's interesting. Verse 5 of chapter 26, continuing. The dead tremble, those who live beneath the waters. The underworld is naked in God's presence. The place of destruction is uncovered. God stretches the northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. He wraps the rain in his thick clouds, and the clouds don't burst with the weight. He covers the face of the moon, shrouding it with his clouds. He created the horizon when he separated the waters. He set the boundary between day and night. The foundations of heaven tremble. They shudder at his rebuke. By his power, the sea grew calm. By his skill, he crushed the great sea monster. His spirit made the heavens beautiful, and his power pierced the gliding serpent. These are just the beginning of all that he does, merely a whisper of his power. Who then can comprehend the thunder of his power? Moving into chapter 27, beginning with verse 1. Job continued speaking, I vow by the living God who has taken away my rights, by the Almighty who has embittered my soul as long as I live. While I have breath from God, my lips will speak no evil, and my tongue will speak no lies. I will never concede that you are right. I will defend my integrity until I die. I will maintain my innocence without wavering. My conscience is clear for as long as I live. May my enemy be punished like the wicked, my adversary like those who do evil. For what hope do the godless have when God cuts them off and takes away their life? Will God listen to their cry when trouble comes upon them? Can they take delight in the Almighty? Can they call to God at any time? I will teach you about God's power. I will not conceal anything concerning the Almighty, but you have seen all this, yet you say all these useless things to me. This is what the wicked will receive from God. This is their inheritance from the Almighty. They may have many children, but the children will die in war or starve to death. Those who survive will die of a plague, and not even their widows will mourn them. Evil people may have piles of money and may store away mounds of clothing, but the righteous will wear that clothing, and the innocent will divide that money. The wicked build houses as fragile as a spider's web, as flimsy as a shelter made of branches. The wicked go to bed rich, but wake to find that all their wealth is gone. Terror overwhelms them like a flood, and they are blown away in the storms of the night. The east wind carries them away, and they are gone. It sweeps them away. It whirls down on them without mercy. They struggle to flee from its power, but everyone jeers at them and mocks them. And that concludes our Old Testament reading. Moving into the New Testament now, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, reading through chapter 2, verse 11. Again, this is 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, beginning in verse 12. We can say with confidence and a clear conscience that we have lived with a God-given holiness and sincerity in all our dealings. We have depended on God's grace and not on our own human wisdom. That is how we have conducted ourselves before the world and especially towards you. Our letters have been straightforward, and there is nothing written between the lines and nothing you can't understand. 
I hope someday you will fully understand us, even if you don't understand us now. Then on the day when the Lord Jesus returns, you will be proud of us in the same way we are proud of you. Since I was so sure of your understanding and trust, I wanted to give you a double blessing by visiting you twice, first on my way to Macedonia and again when I return from Macedonia. Then you could send me on my way to Judea. You may be asking why I changed my plan. Do you think I make my plans carelessly? Do you think I am like people of the world who say yes when they really mean no? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver between yes and no. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you. And as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. It is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us, and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised. Now, I call upon God as my witness that I am telling the truth. The reason I didn't return to Corinth was to spare you from a severe rebuke. But that does not mean we want to dominate you by telling you how to put your faith into practice. We want to work together with you so you will be full of joy, for it is by your own faith that you stand firm. So I decided that I would not bring you grief with another painful visit, for if I cause you grief, who will make me glad? Certainly not someone I have grieved. That is why I wrote to you as I did, so that when I do come, I won't be grieved by the very ones who ought to give me the greatest joy. Surely you all know that my joy comes from your being joyful. I wrote that letter in great anguish with a troubled heart and many tears. I didn't want to grieve you, but I wanted to let you know how much I how much love I have for you. I'm not overstating it when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Most of you opposed him, and that was punishment enough. Now, however, it is time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. So I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. I wrote to you as I did to test you and see if you would fully comply with my instructions. When you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit, so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. And now we move into our Proverbs reading for today, which is Proverbs chapter 22, verses 5 and 6. Again, this is the 22nd chapter of Proverbs Beginning in verse 5. Corrupt people walk a thorny, treacherous road. Whoever values life will avoid it. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. And finally, we will be reading Psalm 41 in a posture of prayer. Again, this is the 41st Psalm. For the choir director, a Psalm of David. Verse 1. Oh, the joys of those who are kind to the poor. The Lord rescues them when they are in trouble. The Lord protects them and keeps them alive. He gives them prosperity in the land and rescues them from their enemies. The Lord nurses them when they are sick and restores them to health. O oh Lord, I prayed, have mercy on me, heal me, for I have sinned against you. But my enemies say nothing but evil about me. How soon will he die and be forgotten, they ask. They visit me as if they were my friends. But all the while they gather gossip, and when they leave, they spread it everywhere. All who hate me whisper about me, imagining the worst. He has some fatal disease, they say. He will never get out of that bed. Even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food, has turned against me. 
Lord, have mercy on me. Make me well again so I can pay them back. I know you are pleased with me, for you have not let my enemies triumph over me. You have preserved my life because I am innocent. You have brought me into your presence forever. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. And Father, I, uh, I have no better way to end this podcast than to just pray verses 11 through the end of the psalm again. Lord, I know you are pleased with me because of what you've done in Christ Jesus. For you have not let my enemies triumph over me, even my greatest enemy, death and sin. You have preserved my life because I am innocent through the innocence of Christ Jesus. And because of this, you have brought me into your presence forever. So I praise you, Lord, the God of Israel, who lives from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Yes, friends. And we learned today in 1 Corinthians, amen means yes. Yes and yes. I would love to hear your thoughts and uh, what the Lord stirred in your heart through this reading. So let me know and uh, hope to see you back here tomorrow as we continue our journey reading through the Bible together.